0: He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial.'" And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything... Because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I have to say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And from First John. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this when He is revealed, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in Him, Purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks be to God. So this is the second week of Listen, Praying in a Noisy World. We're, we're uh, kind of going off of this, this book by Richard Ruben P. Job. This is a book that uh, he's asked us to. For annual conference, ask those who were going, and uh, as I began to thumb through it, I thought, you know, this would just be an excellent opportunity for us as we get into an extraordinarily busy time of the year and a time where we are just pulled away in, in different directions for all sorts of different things. The, the noise of the world it becomes it becomes difficult to hear the voices that we're trying to hear when we pray. I thought this would be a good time for us to kind of reflect and reset. So we're now into the second week of this, and uh, just to remind you, last week we talked about listening. We talked about uh, hearing all the static and the noise of the world and, and trying to tune out and find the voice of God in the midst and, and what it means to pray intentionally. And this week we're continuing that. We're talking about intentionality, purpose and with purpose, right? That's my favorite phrase, right? The, the idea that we do things intentionally when we do things for God. We don't just do them because we're supposed to. We don't just do them because we've always done them. We do them because we have a reason to do them and we do them on purpose. And so we're talking about prayer and what that means this week pray in the midst of noise and craziness. So we're going to write from Luke is the famous passage in which Jesus' disciples say, teacher, teach me to pray. All right, it's a pretty simple question. Teach us to pray. Now, one of the things that really strikes me is that this occurs in Luke in the 11th chapter. 11 chapters of Jesus before we get to them finally asking Jesus how to pray. Now, counted, and in Luke's gospel alone, um, there are a dozen right at six examples of jesus going away to pray Now, i don't just mean jesus praying he prays a lot more than six times in luke's gospel at this point but there are six times where he said i don't want anyone to bother me i'm going to go over you disciples keep everyone away i'm going to go to pray and that strikes me because jesus is not the kind of person to turn people away but there's one time in scripture one theme in scripture that consistently he says for a few i'm not going to take care of anybody i'm not going to do anything i'm going to pray Right? The, the only thing Jesus did to kind of leave him alone for a minute was when he prayed. And no less than six times had this happened before we get to Luke 11. And of course, you know, Jesus' two years of ministry are uh, in a book that you can fit in the palm of your hand. So, and that's the, all four of the Gospels. So we know that, that a lot more of the time that uh, the Gospel authors simply didn't include. So probably, conceivably, many, many times, Jesus went away to pray. At some point, these guys, that prayer is essential for Jesus. That every amazing thing he does is bookended with prayer. He prays when he does it. He prays before and he prays afterwards. He prays privately and to himself. He prays with others. He prays publicly. He prays privately. This is essential to Jesus' life, is to pray to God. And so finally they figure it out and they say, all right, Jesus, how do we do it? And he says, when you pray, say, right? That's the opening phrase. When you say, he gives them a prayer. But I want to point out something that I think is really important. I don't think he gives them a canned prayer to recite as the only prayer they ever needed. I think he's given them more of an outline, more of an idea, more of a a subject to pray and an example of what prayer should look like. So I think what we're going to do this morning is we're going to unpack that prayer. We're just going to kind of take it apart piece by piece. And we're going to look at what Jesus' instructions about prayer mean for us. Because that's what we're talking about this week, learning to pray. Those people who have taught us to pray and praying with intentionality. <clears throat> Teach us how to pray is the question this morning. First John opens with the phrase, See what kind of love the Father has given us. I, I included this scripture this morning. We're going to be focusing on Luke 11, but I included this scripture this morning as kind of a resetting point, a getting us in the right gear point. Uh, this passage is kind of a short and sweet passage that reminds us that, well, first off, it opens up reminding us that we're not perfect. It opens up reminding us that we have separated ourselves from God with sin, and that is a truth of all human beings. And at the same time, we have been given an extraordinary grace that allows us righteousness in God, that allows us a relationship with God, that allows us to grow with God in spite of our sin. And this is evidence, as John opens up, this is evidence of God's love for us, right? This is, this is proof that God loves us. My favorite verse in the whole Bible, if you want to give me, I'm not a verse person, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a read section person. I, I've never been a fan of memorizing verses. And the reason for that is I think you miss the point when you try and memorize little lines here and there. The whole idea is to read the darn thing. But there is one verse I like that I like to pick out of the rest of the context and stick out and that's Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because to me, that Romans 5, 8, that's the whole gospel in one line that while you were still sinning, while you were still not good enough, while we were still separate from God, Christ died for us. And this is proof of God's love. And 1 John is telling us that all over again. But it's expounding upon that and reminding us that a relationship with God is what it's all about. That this relationship with God is what makes us righteous and gives us ability to sin. So we're in that frame of mind this morning. We know that a relationship with God is essential. We know that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory that God has for we have failed to be who God designed us to be. But it's not a hellfire and brimstone sermon because we live, a God of, we live in a God of grace. And he says, uh, he says, I have a relationship with you and a means for righteousness. And this morning, one of those ways to, to build that relationship certainly is through intentional prayer. So let's chapter of Luke. It begins with the question, but the answer is what we're interested in. He says, When you pray, say. And he opens it up. Let's begin. And uh, we traditionally use older translations when we talk about uh, the Lord's Prayer, simply because it's in a language, right? We like to hear those words, our Father who art in heaven. Like We, we like to hear those, we're used to them. Um, you know, you heard bits of it. You might have noticed, if you were astutely listening, that Luke uh, omits a couple of lines from the Lord's Prayer. Other Gospels have more, other Gospels have less. So that's, that's that's the amazing thing about having four Gospel authors, is that we get bits and pieces that the other didn't hear. Uh, there's one of my favorite con- I wish I could find it and print it out and put it in my office, but it's a picture of Jesus, and, uh, and he's speaking to his disciples, he says, look, I want you to pay attention. I don't want you to end up with four versions of this, right? <clears throat> but in Luke's gospel, a few things are omitted, but we'll include those today just for uh, just for comparison's sake. Um, but we're going to use a newer translation when we talk about it. We're going to use the Common English Bible, and uh, so we're going to give some kind of simpler words as we unpack this and kind of look at this scripture uh, and try and get an idea of, of what it really of what he was saying in the first century to disciples and what he wanted them to hear. Right, Reading the Bible isn't about hearing the words. It's about understanding the meaning and the story and what it is that we're supposed to do about it. The Bible is, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to tell you another little thing about me. Uh, the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth thing that everyone loves to say, I hate that. And let me tell you why I hate that, because it's not basic, it's not just instructions, and it's for right here, right now, and forever, not just before leaving earth or anything else like that. So when we understand the Bible is not just basic and it's supposed to really be comprehended and understood and not just read, that's why we do these things. We unpack this. So uh, Father, uphold the holiness of your name, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Names are important in the first century. And Jesus begins this with Father. That's the very first word, Father. And this is important because uh, Jesus refers to God in a lot of ways, but usually in prayer he refers to God as Father. Now, that's not just because Jesus is the Son of God, right? He's giving this as an example, right? He wants you to call God Father too. And this isn't just to help give us an image in our head of God with a beard, uh, you know, or anything like that. It isn't even to establish philosophical arguments like God's gender or crazy things like that. The idea of calling God Father is to help us understand God's role, right? This is to understand who God is, who we're talking to. The whole first line, Father, uphold your holy name, is to help us understand who we're talking to. What's a father in the first century Judea? It's not a whole lot different than many fathers today. It's a protector. It's a provider. It's the one who the answer to your question. It's the one who knows how to handle your problem. Now, today, we live in a world that's fantastic where we have mothers who do that uh, just as well, if not better. And uh, I know that I grew up in a household where my mother was those things for me, and that was very important to me. But, uh, but for the first century Judea, they knew the father Right? They knew that Father meant these things. So Father, I'm going to uphold your holy name. Right? You need to recognize who you're talking to. This isn't just some <coughs> unknown uh, deity in the sky. We know exactly who this guy is. This isn't, uh, this isn't someone who's not hearing you. This is someone who uh, needs to, to be understood how powerful and how extraordinary. This is the God of the universe. This is the God who knitted you together in your mother's, in your mother's womb. So here we are, Father, I'm upholding your holy name. Excuse me, and then he says, "Give us uh, today our daily bread. Give us today the things that we need." Now that's kind of an interesting line. Give us our, our, this day our daily bread, and I mean, you don't have to have you know a, a PhD in comparative theology to understand. That he's talking about food, bread, actually bread, and he's saying, you know, let us eat today. The first we talk about poverty a lot in the church because it's something that that Christ has called us to assist in, right? This is one of the universal calls of a Christian is to do something about poverty, that there shouldn't be people around you starving and unable to do the things that they, do, that they need to do. But sometimes in our world, poverty means maybe not having a reliable car to get to work with, or uh, it means you know, maybe having some overdue bills here and there. It, it, it sometimes, unfortunately, still means that people go without food, but it is improving. At least it's improving, even though there are still many out there without food. You know, we as human beings have improved a lot over the years. 2,000 years ago, uh, while others uh, feasted, others starved, and that's still true today, but through the incredible work of things like Meals on Wheels, we were just talking about it, the number of those who simply don't have anything to eat is dwindling, and, and that's incredible. In the first century, it wasn't the case at all. This was a prayer that wasn't uncommon. Jesus invent this part of the prayer. This was an prayer that they had every day. Every day, many of these families woke up and they prayed, God, let my kids eat today. Right? They didn't have money. They didn't have jobs. It just didn't work like that. Those things weren't available to them. For the most part, they bartered for whatever supplies they had. Maybe they had uh, some goats and chickens or something like that to produce their own food. Of course, what happens when, when they die or, or when something comes in and gets them or steals them? They have nothing. And They barter for what they can and, and they do whatever they can. And maybe they eat today. Maybe they get to feed their kids today. Maybe they even have enough to feed their kids themselves eat a little bit too right the life that many of them are living not all of them obviously we know that Jesus talked to some very rich people Jesus' message was universal and that's what's incredible is that in his crowd you had kings and rulers and wealthy people and you had people so poor that their daily prayer was God I just want to eat today Jesus includes this and I want to point this out the reason I want to kind of isolate this and lift it up is what it means it's not just about praying for food Jesus isn't saying when he says, give us today our daily bread, he isn't saying, make sure you pray for food every day. Jesus is saying that it's okay to come to God with what you need. Have you or, or have you ever heard somebody say, I feel selfish when I ask God for something that I need. I feel like, like I should be praying only for other people and not for myself. I feel guilty about asking God for, to solve my problems here on earth. Maybe you don't feel that way. If you don't, that's fantastic. Because that's not the way you need to feel. But I've heard some of you, and I've heard some people tell me that, wow, I really feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's silly of me to bother God with my problems when there are so many things going on in the world. But right here, Jesus spells it out. Right? We're, we're only two lines into the prayer. And already, God, give me what I need for the day. Whatever that is. If it's food, if it's peace, if it's, Whatever it is, if it's the ability to let go, the ability to forgive, give me today what I need for today so that I can serve you today. And then we kind of go on. The prayer is kind of two parts. The first part is these physical needs, right? I'm going to recognize who God is. That's the first line. Second line, I need what I need for today. And then here we are, we're going into the spiritual realm. And Luke begins, (coughs) excuse me, uh, excuse me, Luke begins, forgive our sins and help us to forgive those who have wronged us. Jesus does this a lot. And this is important. Jesus marries the idea of God forgiving you and you forgiving others. Almost every time he talks about forgiveness of sins, he talks about your need to forgive others as well. And this isn't because God's hands are tied. This isn't because God says, well, I would have forgiven you, but, you know, Mary Sue here on earth somewhere decided that she wasn't going to forgive you, so I can't do anything about it. That's not it at all. God doesn't need you to forgive someone else's sins. You need you to forgive someone else's sins. You cannot have a relationship with a God who is ultimate in forgiveness, who forgives everyone for everything when they ask, who is ultimate in grace. Your heart's not compatible with that if it's hardened by a lack of forgiveness for others. Jesus knows that. So he gives this instruction. He says, you need to ask forgiveness, and you need to forgive others. And you can't do it alone, so ask God. Right? It's okay to ask God to help you do what he asked you to do. Right? It's okay to ask God to help you do what he asks you to do. Have you ever had a, you know, a, a, ta- a new task and a job that you've never done before, and your boss asks you to do it, and your boss says, can you do this? Oh, yeah, no problem. And you go to do it, and you think, oh, I'm in over my head. And isn't it like the worst and most embarrassing conversation to go back and say, can you help me with this? I mean, maybe you're more like secure than I am and, and didn't have that problem, but I definitely did, and I definitely have. You know, it bit off more than I can chew, and now I need to go back and ask for help when I, you know, I'm confident that I can handle this. and You know, Maybe we feel that way with God sometimes, but that's, again, not what he wants from us. What he wants from us is to be honest and to come to him and say, look, I need your help letting this go. I need you to forgive me for my sins, and I need you to help me let go of the sins of others so that I can forgive them so that my heart and yours can be together. Father God, help me remember who you are. Bring your kingdom right here where we are. Help me to have what I need for the day to come. Forgive me for everything that has separated me from you and help me to forgive others in the ways that they've wronged me. And then we continue, don't let me fall into desiring the things that could cause me sin because God yours and yours alone is the Amen. Of course that's adding in the pieces that aren't in Luke's gospel. But this prayer is pretty simple. When you put it in modern language, it doesn't sound a whole lot different than the old language either. But the prayer is pretty simple, right? It kind of flows. It's just a, it's an idea of what prayer is supposed to be. Now, if this is an outline, why do we recite this prayer? Well, that's important too. It's kind of a grounding thing. It's, a, it's a getting us back into first gear so we can start off on the hill you know, of the week. It's helping us to reflect and to pray for the things that are universal for all of us. We all need to forgive others. We all need forgiveness. We all need our daily bread, whatever that means for us. And we all need time to reflect and recognize who God really is. So in church, we recite this, and this is important, and it, and it helps us connect with God. But during the week, I hope we reflect on this, and we look at this as an outline for what our prayers should look like. Outline uh, is a word I don't like very much. When I, you know, in, in school, especially in high school, you know, they it would, uh, in English classes, they'd make you write papers, right? And the whole idea of writing papers in English class is to prepare you to write academic papers in college. Uh, you know, when you get to college, nobody's going to grade your rough draft, nobody's going to grade your outline, nobody's going to look at your handwritten notes, uh, they just want the paper, it needs to convey the information, and no college professor has the time to go through a poorly written paper, so, you know, you're just going to flunk it, no matter how good the material is, and English teachers know that, and so they want to prepare you for that, so they try to give you good study habits, and they try to help you understand how to create a paper that a college professor is going to look at, and is going to give you a good grade on, and know that you know the material. And so I know they have the best intentions at heart, but I am a free-writing kind of person. I am a kind of person who will sit down and just write everything, and then just start trimming stuff out, and, and reorganizing my thoughts, and then scrapping the whole thing and rewriting it. This is just how I work. I've got to get it out there. And when I write, uh, especially academically, you know, in papers and things, I generally have one or two notebooks, and I'm handwriting things, and I'm typing things, and I'm typing the paper, and I'm retyping it, and that's just how I work. I, I'm not a, you know... Step 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 kind of person. I'm kind of a every step at the same time and you know chaos, right? And, uh, and that's just how to work. But uh, you know, and nobody tell my high school English teacher because she'd probably be mad at me. But we had to turn an outline in with our paper so that you know we knew how to make an outline so that we could plan our papers. And so I would write the paper and then afterwards I would make an outline that matched the paper. And I always got an A too. So. But outlines are important, right? Outlines help us organize our thoughts to understand what it is we need to get out there, what it is we need to expound on, what it is we need to skip. And that's what the Lord's, at least for this week, the concept of this week, what we're talking about this week, that's what the Lord's prayer is for us. It's an outline for prayer. It's an idea of what prayer is supposed to look like. It itself is a prayer that we should remember, that we should recite, that we should use, and it's also an outline for what our prayer should look like. It's not the only outline, not that we can't pray for other things, but it's a lot of reminders, right? So let's go over that again. So First off, we have to recognize when we pray who we're praying to. We need to pray on purpose. We need to know that we are praying to God, the God of the universe who created us, and his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, this triune God who we're praying to. This is, this is, this is immense. This is powerful. We need to know that, and, then, and we need to recognize that. And then beyond that, we need to be okay with praying for what's going on in our lives because God wants to hear it. God wants us honest enough to pray about what's going on in our lives, whatever that might be. And we need to pray for our spiritual health as well. Praying for our sins to be forgiven and for ourselves to forgive others. This is important. Back to who taught you to pray. Whatever that means for you. Uh, If you were raised in a Christian home, maybe a parent taught you to pray. Uh, That could mean a lot of things, right? It could be, you know, they they had you kneel by your bed at night and fold your hands and say, Dear God, thank you for Grandma. You know, that kind of stuff. Or, or, you know, maybe it was a Sunday school friend or a loved one. Uh, Maybe you're, you, know, you came to the faith later in life and it was a pastor or a friend, or, or maybe you don't feel like anyone's ever taught you to pray. But think back to how you learned to pray, whatever that means for you, and think about what that means to you to know to pray, and think about what more you could learn now and how we can continue to learn to pray. It's kind of a foreign concept, isn't it? It seems like prayer is kind of a simple thing to do, right? It's like learning how to walk. Most of us just know how to do it and we probably couldn't teach it to anybody else, Right? we kind of know how to do it with babies and, and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, and, and Joyce probably knows this as well, going to nursing homes, when you have rehab patients who have had some sort of a serious injury, it's amazing to watch these people work with them that teach them to walk, and you realize just how many steps are involved in something so simple that we do every day, and we don't think about, right? We just do it. But what if we unpacked prayer like that? What if we restarted? What if we took prayer out and we figured out every bend and every move and every muscle and we figured out what it really means to pray and we became more intentional. What if we taught ourselves through Christ to pray? What if we asked Jesus, teacher, teach me to pray? What answer do you think you'd get? What kind of a response do you think you'd have? Jesus closes his lesson by giving us a story about need. Now I want to point this out. This was actually supposed to be, a lot of scholars believe this was supposed to be funny. Okay? we don't think of Jesus with a sense of humor a lot, right? We think of him as a stoic individual with broad shoulders who never smiles and, and just tells us what to do and, and, you know, has a halo over his head and, and everyone just is in awe of him all the time. Uh, but looking at the context, looking at the, and I am not nearly bright enough to know this, but, but thankfully there are people out there who are and they write books and they help people like me understand what we're reading here and uh, but looking at the, the original language and the context and the and the choice even the choice of words when there's three or four different words in greek that, that will express this idea why did he choose these and they ask these question they say realize that he's kind of telling a joke right he says so somebody shows up in the middle of the night, they bang on your door and they say i need a loaf of bread because my friend's visiting from out of town and the guy says no 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 I'm not, get, I'm not gonna get up my door's locked i'm in bed the kids are in bed i'm not getting up uh, nobody's in bed if this guy's banging the door so loud you can hear him all the way in the bedroom but, uh, you know, and the, but then he says but of course right?" And we're, we're kind, when I read that I kind of think what do you mean of course I'm with the other guy I'm in bed I'm keeping the door locked go away but he says of course he's going to get up and give you what you need what we have to understand is, is the cultural context of that time period if you had food you didn't refuse it to other people it's just not something you did right? because you understood there were probably times in your life where you didn't have food and again, this is in extreme poverty uh, in, this, in this time period, in these regions. And if you had food, you simply gave it. It's simply what you did. What was funny about it is that the example was silly, right? It was the worst reason to need food. It isn't, hey, my kid's starving. It's, uh, yeah, my uncle's coming in from out of town, and, and he's hungry, and I don't have anything for him to eat. I need to make him a sandwich, you know? And uh, so it's, it's humor that you and I probably don't get and wouldn't think is very funny, but in the context of the first century, it was supposed to be a silly, humorous story to help them understand. So even Jesus used humor in his sermons, right? I'm not very good at it, but I guess he was. But, uh, but right, so a little bit of a silly story about an example about what it means to give. But the idea behind the story is to understand that in much the same way that society dictates that when you knock on someone's door for food, they're going to give it to you. It's just something you do. It's what they expect. We should expect the same thing from God. When we pray to God, just know that he's going to give us something, that we're going to receive something, that no isn't an option. <clears throat> now, no might mean you're not going to have what you think you need, but I'm going to give you the strength and the courage and the peace to go without it. Something can happen when we pray. I have faith in that. I hope you do too. We talked uh, recently about the faith to move a mountain that Jesus tells us about. Well, have. That prayer is going to do something. It might not give you exactly what you want, but it's going to do something. The next example he gives, which I think is really silly, is you know, if your kid asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Right? How silly is that? He gives us this example, and uh, again, he's saying, God cares about you the same way you care about your kids. When they need something, you give it to them. Now, of course, he's using the example of a parent and a child because they also understand that. You know, if your kid comes up and says, I want ice cream for dinner, you say no, but I know you're hungry, so here, have some chicken or whatever, you know, have some vegetables, and then you can have some ice cream, and then they complain, and they cry. They don't know what's going on, but you do, and so you let them have what they need, even though they want something else. You recognize the hunger, and you give them what satisfies the hunger, even if they have a different idea of what that is. And that's important, because when we pray, God works the exact same way. Something's going to happen when you pray. When you pray with earnest, and you connect with God, and you ask God, for what's going on in your life, something's going to happen. You can pray for a million dollars all you want, it's probably not going to happen, but you might get the peace to live a generous life without a need for more and more and more. It's amazing what can happen in prayer, And, and I really truly believe, I wouldn't waste my time up here if I didn't really truly believe that prayer changes lives. I wouldn't waste my time on a whole series of prayer if I didn't think that prayer wasn't the most essential thing that you can do in your relationship with Christ. a prayer life is essential. We talk about communication a lot, right? What's the key to a healthy relationship? It's to communicate. It's to be honest with each other. Well, the same thing works with God, communicating honestly and openly with God. I love the example, it's not in our chapter from Luke today, but I love the example of prayer that Jesus uses elsewhere in the Gospels when he talks about, uh, you know, the ability to petition someone, you know, the, the, when he talks about, you know, suppose your friend—I love it when he uses the word "suppose." Suppose your friend is in jail, and you have an opportunity to speak to his captors, wouldn't you do that? Well, it, one of the things that, that I really hate to hear is someone says, "Well, all I can do is pray. All I can do is pray," like prayer is like the least I could do. But let me ask you this: Let's say your uh, your best friend, your your spouse, your child is incarcerated for a crime they didn't commit. And the least, the only thing you can do is go speak to the warden, the governor, the president of the United States and the entire UN on their behalf uh, in a private room where you have a limited amount of time and they have to listen to you. Right, you know, I mean, come on. So when we talk about prayer, it's not the least we can do, it's the most we can do. We do the other things too because God's called us to, but, but prayer is the most essential thing we can do for someone to pray for them because we have trust and faith in God that something's going to happen when we pray. That this is important. So friends, pray with earnest. This week, as you're reflecting over your scripture pass- passages, they're in your bulletin again, I want you to reflect over these, to look at them and to pray. Remember that each day we're going to look at these scripture passages and, and we're going to pray over them and Think about what they mean to us and, and what, they're, what, what it means for us to do what we're supposed to do about it, how we're going to apply this message, how this message is going to change our lives. As we pray about that, pray with earnest and think about the way you pray. Prayer doesn't mean having the right words or being beautiful or being poetic. Prayer is about being honest and earnest, right? Prayer is about giving yourself to God and being honest with what you say. We're continuing the series through Pentecost because it's important. Pray like you mean it. Pray like a relationship with really is the most important thing in your world and that this prayer is going to grow it. Amen.